0: Hey, everybody, before we get into the podcast, I just want to let you know about our sponsor. It's a film called Sir John A. and the Curse of the Antiquenched. It's a fun film. You can get it on Vimeo on demand right now for only $2.99. Check out curseoftheantiquenched.com.
1: Are you telling me that you built a time machine
0: out of a DeLorean? Welcome to the Raiders of the Lost Commentary Podcast. Welcome to Jurassic Park, the unofficial commentary for your favorite. Get of the Chopper! And not so favorite films. The famous comedian Arnold Braunschweiger. Starring your hosts Adam and Matt. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Start your movie in three, two, Hey everybody, this week on the podcast I am joined by a special indie filmmaker guest, Matt Ralston We're talking about his film, What We Don't Say It's a feature film he made for only $6,000 I know So, just before we jump into it too far I just want to say you can check this out on Amazon and Vimeo On Demand Uh, So yeah, let's get into it Matt, how are you?
1: Good, how are you?
0: Decent. Um, so we're talking about your film, What We Don't Say. Uh, I found a, a post that, that you made on Reddit um, in the uh, our filmmakers that you'd made a film for uh, around $6,000. thought that was pretty interesting. I thought I should reach out. And uh, there's obviously some things we can learn from you. Uh, but at first, I thought I'd start off and just uh, for you to introduce yourself and, and uh, what you do in the business and a little about yourself.
1: Yeah, so I'm Matt Ralston, writer, director, producer by necessity, <laughs> and uh, I, yeah, I do all three of those things. I've been working at it for about six years now, so you know, in all fairness, still fairly in my infancy compared to others, but I feel like I'm starting to get a bit, a bit of a grasp and a voice. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, totally. Um, so um, this, uh, what we don't say, is this like your first feature or did you make something else before that or shorts or whatnot or?
1: Yeah, so I'll give you just like a rundown of my entire I don't know, filmmaking career thus far, I guess you could say. So i actually from Ottawa or I was raised right outside in Carlton Place and I lived in Ottawa for five, six years where I played in a band. And the idea was to be a rock star. When that didn't pan out, I was like, the only thing I've ever loved is making movies. So I took a little course at a Saw video downtown. I don't know if you know that. Oh, yeah, no Saw. Yeah, and it was like an eight-week course where we just met once a week on like Wednesdays for four hours. So it really wasn't even enough to truly educate you in film. But I, I, I knew that what it would tell me is if I liked it or not. And so I took the course and thankfully I loved it. And being from the band, I saw like when we would do tours with the band and we do shows at a town, we would get a really good reception. And when we'd come back to Ottawa, it, would, it really wasn't there like that. So I thought, you know, Vancouver apparently has a great movie scene. I'm going to move to where the big, big cities are. And I really hated winter. So was right. like, BC it is. Yeah. And then, yeah, I got there and I started volunteering on film sets. Um, I'd never really been on a real film set before, so I just started PAing and met people through that. Then I started producing shorts, um, all while writing my own scripts. And then I had a script called Party Stories, where I was like, okay, I think I can I can take a shot at directing. It was meant to be a feature. And when we had finished it, it was 58 minutes long, so it's kind of this really it's in like, as far as time count goes, it's in a failure territory, if I'm to be honest, like 58 minutes, it's not a feature, it's definitely not a short. And it was never designed to be a pilot, so it's just this relief like Frankenstein long short. But the good news that came from that was I learned how to make a movie. Like it was the first thing I directed, it was the first thing, and even more important than directing, it was the first thing that I had written that got brought to screen, so. I always say like the biggest thing I learned is just what makes something on screen interesting, you know, and I'm sure there are scenes here and there that I'll make in the future that won't be super, you know, up to par or I hope not at least. Right. But going from what we don't or party story to what we don't say, I really felt like I I learned how to make a movie and more importantly, learned editing as well too, because the first time you're in an editing room, like really trying to break down this movie that's, You know 60ish or longer it's it's a lot of work oh yeah so yeah party stories finished and i was looking at it and thinking like do i send this off to festivals like there are some good stuff in party stories and i'll maintain that forever but there's a lot of stuff that's just okay and there's some stuff that's just straight up not good and i was like well if i send this to festivals like i really don't think it's gonna do what we would want so I could take that money and I have this other idea for what became what we don't say. I was like, I could take that money and just make another movie. So right. that's what I did.
0: That's great, man. And I mean, all, all the power to you to just decide and say, like, I'm not going to wait for anyone to, to give me money or I'm not going to wait to pitch to people. I'm just going to self-fund this myself, I'm assuming, and and then just go and make it and uh, I can really uh, relate to that, I'm not waiting for somebody to to say yes and just go make it. So, so you have this script, uh, what we can <laughs> say, and uh, so w- where did things start? Did you do you have a producer partner, or do you just start breaking down the script? Do you start casting right away, or did you have uh, dreams for like a bigger budget and then things scale back down to a six thousand mm-hmm. dollar budget, or? So, uh,
1: well, to start, the guy I make movies with, Latif Ula, he is my cinematographer, editor, and co-writer on this movie. Um, so when we were finishing Party Stories, I went up to him and I said, hey, man, I've got another idea, and I pitched him what we don't say. He's like, yeah, you know, I think this could really work. So we knew it was a love story. We knew how it start, what the start was. We knew what the end was, but the middle was, you know still yet to be written and since it was a love story i was like I, I just have this feeling that we should cast the leads before we write the script and really find people that can um, embody and kind of create these characters with us okay. so cougar vicarian who plays ben in what we don't say was the lead in party stories as well and it's such a great job that i just called him and i'm like hey man this is what's going on do you want to be a part of it Casting from the
0: pool of people you know, that's good.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He was he was stoked. It was like, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I just knew like he was up to par enough as an actor that he could do it and getting to know him, I knew his approach to everything. And he's a very intellectual guy. So I knew he could do it. So I didn't make him audition or anything. It was just like, Do you want this part? And he was I jumped all over it. And then for the lead of the female lead of Juliet, um, we just put feelers out everywhere. Um, I can't remember where she submitted from, but we met a bunch of actresses for coffee. And it was kind of funny because when I met her, like we had her headshot and I was like, ah, you know, she could work, I guess. And it just turned out that her headshot didn't look anything like she looked. <laughs> so a lot, it,
0: eh? Like you meet people in your casting and you're like, wait, that's you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and. Not in like a... Not a
1: bad like way, it, but just in... Yeah. So we met with her and, you know, at this point, it's just a pitch. We have nothing written. We have a beginning and end and kind of a general feel for the characters. Okay. So it's just us telling, you know, beginning and throwing around possibilities of what could happen and in the middle to, you know, really bridge the beginning and the end and just talking character. And it was pretty clear from... Uh, her first meeting that was between her and another girl but she was she yeah there's just she had the right energy to her so we hired her and then just got off to writing and with the two leads in tow we just through every draft we would send it to them meet up with them talk with them say you know what do you think and really base all the rewrites around their notes our thoughts and I tried to be pretty merciless with it the first draft came out at 89 pages. Okay. So Latifah and I wrote the first draft. It was 89 pages. And then I did the subsequent drafts. And I remember we had the first draft, 89 pages. I sat on it for like two weeks. And then I opened up the document one day and I cut out 60 pages. <laughs> <laughs> All this is gone. And then we went up to 113 pages on that draft.
0: Okay. So, yeah, you so on it for a while then.
1: Yeah. From initial pitch to when we shot was... Just over thirteen months.
0: And I will say, um, credit to your your DP uh, Latif. It, it this film looks expensive and it looks really legit shot. Uh, and uh, I'm I'm assuming just like with him being a writer too, like he must have been thinking about shots and and how he like you guys were going to execute these scenes and, and actually pull it off for you know a minuscule budget.
1: Yeah, totally. Like we've always been resourceful filmmakers, I guess. And initially we were set to like, the way we were going to write was we wrote the first draft together. I would do the second, he'd do the third, I'd do the fourth, he'd do the fifth. But once it came to the second, we were like, there's so much prep to do if we're shooting for no money that I'll tackle the writing and he'll go off and, you know, we'll have our conversations then he'll go off and find out how we're going to shoot this. And the good thing about having him on through the entire thing, other than he's insanely talented, is... You know, we were always on the same page. And if we weren't, it was ironed out very early because, you know, I'd write something, say, here's kind of what I'm thinking. And then he would say, it would be difficult because of X, Y, and Z for me on this end. And we would, we don't really fight or anything. Like neither of us get angry and we're all in this to make the best movie possible, not to inflate our egos. So working in that way, it was just very organic. And any potential issues we had were ironed out well before we got to set because i'm sure you know as you know when you get to shooting enough things are going to happen that are going to be difficult exactly that you you need to iron out everything you can before you start shooting
0: yeah for sure um so yeah walk me through a bit of that then like the pre-production like did you have right with knowing you have locations in mind and like oh i can get these locations sort of like the rodriguez method or did you sort of just have indescript locations and then whatever you could find that's what you'll use or
1: um A lot of the Rodriguez method, and also it just came to my head. I never answered your budget question. Oh, so yeah. the, the whole idea with this movie was, okay, I've got 6,000 bucks. Like if we need to, we will shoot on that and we think we can get it done. Obviously we can make an even better movie with more money. So the approach we took was let's prep this for $6,000, but have this... Alternate reality on under- written version that we've just talked about quite a bit in our head, right? Um, so if we get money, then we can just kind of easily switch over to that But if not, then we're already prepping for this and one of the things, you know, you make a movie for six thousand dollars People are not doing this for a paycheck, right? No, so
0: what I would yeah an Actor gig either
1: <laughs> Yeah, yeah, totally, but what I would tell people is like look, you know Here's what we have. And by the time we brought anyone on, other than uh, myself, Latif, and the two leads, we had a script, right? So I would say, here's the script, like you can tell the movie we're trying to make. For us, it feels like a festival piece. Like I really think this is gonna do well in festivals. And this isn't gonna be a big uh, paycheck for you, but I can promise you that one thing that will never happen is we will not get close to shooting and I'll tell you we don't have the money. Like even, even if you're not getting paid, this is something that's going to get made. So, you know, I'm very upfront with people. Um, I don't like lying to people and I really believe in the, uh, under promise over deliver. So just kind of being very real with people and saying, you know, even though you're not getting a paycheck, this will get made. And if you have just a little bit of faith in me, I bet you we can get a little bit of success with this.
0: Getting something made regardless of budget is its own challenge and achievement in and of itself. So yeah. Congrats to you oh, for yeah. that. But, um, Thank you. Yeah, if you don't so, mind getting to specifics then like where where did that money get spent?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um so largely it was um well, I'll tell you the things we got for free first. So like most of the <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> most of the locations were free like we shot at my house, some friends' houses and with the with that like If I'm ever asking someone, you know, can I shoot at your house? It's not, can you go live somewhere for a week? I don't have anything to pay you, but just, you know, go away for a while, I need your house for a week. It's, you know, let me get in there while you're at work. I'll be gone by the time you get back and I won't break anything. (laughs) And most of the time they're like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. So we got a lot of our locations for free. We paid for a couple of them. There's a scene in uh, a coffee shop. I threw them just a tiny little bit of money, but the, the owner was so nice that she, I went up to her and I said, I'm making this movie. I, I wrote the script and this coffee shop's around the corner from my place. I kind of envisioned shooting it here. Like, would you let me do that? She's like, do you want to shoot a movie here? That's amazing. That's great. Yeah. So she was pretty stoked. I gave her, you know, what little I could, which wasn't much, but we paid for that. And then there was, there's a sequence at a restaurant and a bar where luckily we found just one restaurant that we could fake into three different locations.
0: That's easy, too, to talk about. Stretching your locations to be more than one place goes a long way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So that was the most we spent on a location, and that was only $400. It worked out fairly well because on Mondays, they closed at like 3 p.m. So we got in there at 4, and I told them we'd be out of there by midnight, which all things said and done, I think we shot like 14 pages in there in eight hours. That's amazing. So we, yeah, we were moving, but, you know, it was, this is what we have to do to to get what we need. So locations, you know, was, call it maybe 600 bucks when all things were said and done. Uh, the vast majority went to food. Like we had very small cast and crew, but still it was anywhere from 10 to 20 people a day. And when you're feeding that many people a day, I cooked every day as well, you just cooked. to save money. Yeah, yeah. I would wake up at 3 a.m. and cook everyone lunch and everything.
0: God damn. Crazy. It sucked, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I will say, too, if you're not paying people, the next best thing you can do is make sure they at least eat well, because that goes a long way, too, for just crew and cast morale.
1: Yeah, I could not agree more, and... I think if you're not paying people, like feed them well, you know, get them coffee. I don't even drink coffee, so I got coffee. I don't know if it's terrible, but waking up at 3
0: a.m. and you're not drinking coffee. I've
1: never had a coffee in my life. No, eh? Well, good for you. Yeah. Um, But yeah, make sure your people are fed, and then just make sure you're giving them a good atmosphere I think that's a good rule in general but you know I don't yell at people I never get mad and the first AD he can be very authoritative when it's time to shoot but same thing he will never yell or anything so by doing that everyone walked away thinking like you know this is a really great experience so getting paid doesn't not getting paid doesn't sting quite as bad you know
0: that's true and with this industry too like people kind of had at least actors know there is a bit of that doing it for free and there is, mm-hmm. there is like a precedent for it. It's not like a huge ask. And if you're honest with people and just say like, look, I'm not making any money. I don't know if I will make any money, but do you want? Yeah. Do you want to try and make this thing? Um, yeah, totally. How many and on days? that note, sorry. On that note
1: too, um, with so the crew got paid a little bit. You know, six thousand dollar movie. It's not going to be much. But for the cast, I said, you know, I can't pay you right now. But if we do make money, which it's only six grand, we might be able to recoup it. But if I do, then I will pay you a percentage.
0: Give them deferred payment, essentially, right?
1: Yeah. And like I said, I was pretty honest in saying, you know, maybe it won't make money. There's a medium chance you're going to walk out of this zero dollars richer. Just be very upfront. But if it does make money, then of course I'll, I'll give you guys some.
0: I definitely want to get into that post, uh, end of things. Um, so how many days did you spend shooting eight, eight days shooting? So that's a pretty packed schedule and your script was around a hundred and some pages. So you guys were shooting well over 10 pages a day. Um, yeah. Do you want yeah, to I talk remember... about scheduling and, and what a, a day on set yeah. looked like?
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, each day was different and we had, night shoots and day shoots so luckily we had an incredible first ad oliver robertson i'll love that guy till the day i die
0: (laughs) it's very Um, important to have a good first ad on a a set
1: yes yes i could not agree more so each day like another thing with not paying people is i didn't want to keep everyone for 16 hours and since latif and i really built this movie from the ground up he was shooting it i was directing and producing like we we really built it around what we thought we could do and we thought we could do it in eight days um generally as far as like rolling it would be 10 to 12 hour days you know crew would show up a little bit beforehand we didn't have a whole lot of equipment to set up so it wasn't like four hours setting up each day it'd be like 30 minutes to an hour and then a little bit of a tear down at the end of the day the last day we went a little bit longer, but uh, one day we ended up getting rained out. So I think we only shot for six hours, um, but tried to keep them between 10 and 12 hour days. So, you know, yeah, fairly yeah. manageable. One of the most interesting things that we had happen onset was there's a scene in a furniture store and I had lined up this furniture well before we shot furniture store well before we shot. And then the day before we were set to go in there, we were shooting scene that was at the fair and i get a call from the guy that owns the store and he's like hey man uh so my store just flooded everything is destroyed you can't get in here so i was like oh okay great uh so i had a producer who largely just helped on set kind of thing her name was jen rupt and she was great i turned around like jen get a phone book, call every fucking furniture store in that oh, yeah. phone book. <laughs> we need somewhere to shoot tomorrow morning. She's like, okay. And she she came up to me like an hour later. She's like, I got a furniture store. It's a little out of town. They say they open at nine. They'll have someone there at 7.30. We can be in there for an hour and a half. And I'm like, well, that's all we got. That's yeah. all we got. So we showed up the next day at 7.30. Whoever they sent there was late by like 25 minutes. So they let us in and as soon as we get in there, we're like "This scene we wrote does not fit this furniture store,
0: no. give me five
1: minutes guys. So I rewrote the scene in like two minutes, I'm like, here's what we're shooting, go. And we just shot it and thankfully it actually ended up being a pretty good scene of the movie. A lot of people comment on it and they're like, Oh, I thought I liked that one. I thought it was really funny. That's so, great. Yeah.
0: You got to really kick on your toes like that, especially on such <clears> a small <throat> scale, right? Yeah. That's great, man. And uh, so, coming along like production, like did you guys have to do any reshoots? Uh, did you guys get it all in one go, or like how how did that yeah.
1: go? yeah. So I was gonna touch on reshoots. It's eight days for principal, and then we had technically like a air quotes ninth day. I somewhat counted because I think we shot for or we were together for like six hours. But we had a three-hour lunch where we watched Rick and Morty. Like, we were (laughs) were goofing (laughs) off a fair amount. So as far as a reshoot day, like, it was very minimal. It was just kind of get this one angle. And then we had a little cell phone video at the end that we threw in there. So it really wasn't a ton of reshoots.
0: Right. And now walk me through some of the uh, locations. Like, you were able to shoot at the fair. Did you guys shoot that kind of guerrilla style? Or did you have permission to shoot there? or?
1: You no, know, we looked into getting permission, but it was like $10,000. Oh
0: shit, yeah. So, yeah. so that so that brings up another topic of, like, uh, what did you guys shoot this on? Because, like, I'm assuming you weren't walking through a fair with, like, a red Epic on your shoulder, or, or were you?
1: So we shot on a Sony FS5, which, thankfully, like, it doesn't really look like a super high-end camera, even though you can get some just amazing images out of it. Um, so have yeah, we gorilla shot, we just kinda went in. It was actually kind of funny because we went into that fair when they had like a Halloween thing going on. Okay. And when we went in, like they searched the shit out of our bags and everything. So when we went to shoot, like actually shoot the movie there, we were like, we gotta be so incognito. So we packed our bags so you couldn't really see the camera and the sound guy packed his laughs away and like hid them in a pouch. And we're walking through like sweating bullets. Like if they stop us here, we're screwed. We got to figure something else out. So we paid the fee and walk up to the guy at the gate. He's like, yeah, go ahead. and."
0: Yeah, he, like, doesn't, he makes minimum wage. He doesn't care if you're trying to shoot a movie.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. So but, like we didn't bring a boom mic or anything that would really, really make us stick out. There, there was a couple times where people would be like, hey, look, those guys over there have a camera. So we'd be like, let's just go shoot something else for a couple minutes.
0: Right, right. You draw a yeah. lot of attention. Yeah, but we
1: entirely guerrilla shot it. We, It kind of goes back to planning. So the two scenes in the movie that we planned the most were the fair and the beach scene because we were guerrilla really shooting them both, right? Right. And if you don't do that kind of planning and you say, oh, you know, it, it's just a fair, let's just go shoot some stuff, then it might come back to bite you in the ass, right? But we had scouted the fair and the beach so many times for different projects that we knew we could go in and get what we needed. The only questionable part for the fair was sound. But when we got in there and we picked our spots well enough, the sound that actually ended up being really, you know, it, it worked.
0: So you didn't have to do any ADR or anything like that for, for sound on the, on the fair or anything like that.
1: Mm-hmm. Fun fact, there is zero ADR in the entire movie
0: that's great that that's great man that's hard to do mm-hmm. i agree um so yeah obviously shooting in those locations like it, it buys you a lot of production value and especially on like a smaller film every bit of extra money you can make it look at like it's on the screen goes a long way did you run into any problems uh, like with distro like not having like a permit for for any of those places or have you run into that problem yet Nope. Or should I cut this part out of the podcast?
1: <laughs> no, honestly, I kind of thought about that as well. But again, I did some research beforehand and like you can't... We didn't show logos or anything like that because that they can get you for. But if you go guerrilla shoot something and later they're like, you shouldn't have done that. They can't hold up your movie or anything. No, I guess not. There's no copyright there. And realistically, like once you've gotten out of there, as long as you're not filming like a faux murder or something like that, no one's going to really care.
0: Right guess like uh the the other movie there the the uh the one that was shot in disney the horror movie they 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 had that countdown right like days we haven't been sued by disney and i think Uh disney just like released a statement something to the effect like we're aware of it but whatever we're not going to bother going through with a lawsuit just to give them more press you know
1: that's the whole thing right and in that case they did it really really smart because they're basically baiting them to like yeah sue us come on great for us
0: yeah yeah exactly Everyone will be
1: so pissed at the mega corporation that's suing the little guy, and Yay. we'll get tons of press. This is great.
0: Exactly. Um, so, um, so you get through production. Um, did you guys, aside from like the furniture store, was there any big hiccups other than that, or did it all go pretty smoothly? Did you feel good about it after you shot it?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, there's always hiccups, right? Like one of the, I, I try not to ask the question of like. If I could go back and do it differently, what would I do? Because it, at the end of the day, it's kind of useless. Yeah. Um, but I remember the only times I was kind of disappointed with what we had on set. The big one is extras. Like if you're doing
0: oh, it's a so movie hard. for,
1: yeah, for no money, even your buddies, like they'll come out one day. But if you need them for two or three, you're pushing it. Yeah. So there is two scenes we have a concert scene which we actually managed to make make it look pretty populated and then there's a scene where there's a house party and every time i watch those scenes no one's ever commented on it but i'm like ah i know if we had a couple more bodies this really would have went quite a long way
0: yeah I, i i share in that uh that that sentiment too it is tough and even if you offer to pay people like just getting people to come and sit and do nothing for the day or just interact on repeat in the background. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. There's a reason why there's extra unions, you know?
1: Yeah. You know what was weird? Like one of the first things I ever did was just volunteer to be an extra. And I remember going into it. Um, cause I was coming from the band, like playing in a rock band, right? So I was like, cool, this is a real movie set. They have cameras. That guy's a director and there's actors and you know, you just kind of, do whatever they tell you in the background for a couple hours. And then Dale cut on a take and they're like, okay, it's lunchtime. And the people I got to know, I was like, well, let's go grab a bite to eat. And they're like, grab a bite to eat. They bring food in. I was like, we get fed.
0: <laughs> Watch. That's funny, man.
1: <laughs> yeah. And you know, that's just because I have such a, a huge interest in movies to ask the average person. Like, do you want to come sit in this chair for four hours and pretend to talk to nothing? You know, I can see why people wouldn't want to do it.
0: Yeah. It's tough. It's a tough ask. Um, so you guys, um, get out of production and then, so your DP, who is also your editor. Um, yeah. so are you involved at all in the editing process? Is, does he start right away? Uh, or, or are you kind of like over his shoulder a bit? Like walk me through a bit of that.
1: Yeah. So as far as the, the like rough cut where he literally, you know, he organizes all of his stuff. I don't need to be there for that. And then he just throws takes together for the first rough cut. I wasn't there for any of that. Uh, Also, before I keep going with that, the one thing that you learn going through editing, especially editing a feature, is there's a Scorsese quote that is, if you aren't physically sick watching the first cut of your movie, you've done something wrong.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Both times I've had a first cut, I'm like, this is the worst fucking pile of shit I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah.
0: You need like I found you need you need a small win right after that. So if you know like if you know that's gonna be bad going into it, you need like some type of small win just so you don't like give up on it or you know jump off your balcony or something.
1: Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. And for us, that small win was the montage bit in the fair. Latif cut that together, and you know montages they're. They're a lot easier to put together in a lot of senses compared to, you know, straight scenes where you're cutting between things and whatnot with dialogue. So when he cut together that montage at the fair, I was like, OK, this is going to change a bit, but I feel good about this part. And right. then, you know, so after the rough cut, I was there every second we cut anything. So I was still working a day job. My day was wake up at 5 a.m., do whatever work I needed to do before going to the day job, which was 7 to 5. And then I get off work, shower, and go edit till midnight. And that was brutal, it's especially exhausting.
0: because,
1: yeah, in editing, your eyes get so tired. Like, I've seen this scene 10,000 times and a yeah. thousand different variants.
0: It um, loses its yeah. sort of like, uh, you lose sort of touch of it and like our scope of, of, uh, of the scene. Uh, I've heard of people uh, putting the timeline in its own separate thing and then flipping the screen. So it's like you're watching something new. I don't know if you've ever tried anything like that. I've never had to resort to that. I've never gotten that desperate. But uh, I know what you mean. Like, you end up looking at something and you're like, I don't know if this is good or if this is good or if I'm just used to this now. So.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think that's something that if you didn't have it, like, I know a couple filmmakers, well, I don't know them, you know, I've spoken to them briefly, where they've, um, I've seen their movies through various means and they'd say, you know, yeah, we felt really good through the entire thing, no self-doubt, no doubt in the movie, just like, it was great, we did a couple cuts and it was, you know, it's, it's good. And then you watch it and you're like, oh, you could have used a couple more cuts and a little <laughs> more self-doubt. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> self-doubt goes a long way.
1: It does, I think it's very critical. And like, don't get me wrong, it feels terrible. At some points, you know, you genuinely think you made a disaster, but you keep carving away at it and trying to refine it. And it'll come out well in one way or another. Um, But, yeah, that self-doubt can hurt from time to time.
0: Yeah, it can also stop you from finishing a project. And and so on -hmm. that topic, like, how did you guys decide, get to the point where you're like, okay, we we got to lock this cut? Did you guys have any deadlines in mind? Or or was there just a point where you felt like this is this is – the best we can do with what we have, or?
1: So we did have a deadline. I was moving to Ireland the following May. Oh, cool. So we finished Canada Day, and the next May I was moving to Ireland. So I was like, you know, we got 10-ish months. We we can make it work in 10 months. So we got, we did six cuts of it, the rough cut, which, you know, arguably counts. And then the other five, we did three cuts Or no, two cuts together. And then Latif went off, did whatever he wanted in like an editor's pass. Then I went and did whatever I wanted in a director's cut. And then we just sat and we watched both of them and we said, okay, here's what's better from Latif's version. Here's what's better from my version. Here's what we can take from both and make into something. Because the bottom line for anyone working on any project I do is I say, I only have. Three rules, be good at what you do, wanna do it, and don't be an asshole. <laughs> and this is gonna go great. So like as long as we're all here to make the best movie possible and not pump ourselves up, then we truly can't lose, right? So like when we have this editor cut and this director's cut, we're looking at them as dispassionately as possible. So if Latif says like, you know, here's why I prefer mine, I think yours in scene fourteen is really bad in X, Y, and Z. Then if you don't really look at it from a Sense of ego you can say okay what is best for this movie and i think you always get a win out of that so from yeah. those two yeah from those two cuts we just decided what was best for the movie in the sixth cut and then you know watch it one more time make sure there's no frames that have to go there or anything like that because at that point you know you're not taking out scenes or anything like that
0: right you're just so adjusting just- fine-tune adjusting things
1: yeah, so make make sure everything's tuned, lock picture, and then send it to sound people and everyone that does their thing.
0: Yeah, so that's the next thing I wanted to get into. Like, uh, did you guys send this off to get, like, a, a mix done somewhere? And uh, the other thing is the grade is really nice on, on the film. Mm-hmm. I really like that. And uh, did Latif have, uh, like, a – because he shot it, did he have uh, input on that, or did you just send it off to uh, to a colorist and let them do what they wanted, or mm-hmm. –
1: the chief color graded the entire thing actually.
0: Oh, did he? Wow. Yes. Good for him. So, so he yeah, had like yeah. a huge creative input just as much as yourself in the film.
1: Yeah, definitely as far as visuals go, it was definitely a fifty-fifty thing. Like once like I mentioned, we did the first draft of the script together and then I did all the subsequent ones. So as far as like the scripting, I would say that it was it's a lot more of my voice than his, but when you get to strict images and color and stuff like that it was at least 50 50 if not leaning a little bit more towards Latif
0: yeah eh? Yeah. Um, and then so when you came down to do like a sound mix the other thing I was curious about like with music did you work with a composer or and did did you work with like temp tracks and then give the composer like a temp track and then you want something like that or were they giving you music early on uh, i know you said you were in a band did you provide any music for it or
1: <laughs> no i'm thoroughly done with music i never want to do anything with music again fair enough um so the sound i'll do sound than music sound was actually pretty interesting because i think we locked picture in middle to late january so we had you know three months to go before i moved in and i had said like no matter what we're showing this it's the cast and crew before I leave it's going to be finished before I leave because how do you finish a movie when you're on the other side of the planet right right um so we had a sound person locked in from before we even started shooting it was someone Latif knew she came from the music world but she was like yeah you know I did a couple uh short films in sound school whatever that was right and i, I really want to try doing a feature and she was on board for getting paid very little so i was like yeah cool uh so we finished the movie and i sent it to her and i didn't hear anything back for like a week or 10 days and then i was like hey what's going on with that she's like yeah you know just had some stuff going on i'm gonna do a first pass of it in the next couple of days i'll get back to you and then another week goes by nothing so I messaged her. She's like, okay, I gotta admit something to you. I think I bit off more than I could shoot here. I really don't think I'm capable of this. And I'm like, okay, I appreciate that. You're at least being honest with me. Like there's no point in freaking out. It's yeah. not going to gain anything. But I was like, now I got to figure this out. And thankfully she actually had a friend. She's like, she's done, you know, all these shorts. I think she had done a feature before. So I contacted her. Her name's Esther Gad. And yeah she watched the movie she's like i really like this can i can i please do it I'm like as long as you're okay with this little amount of money right <laughs> and yeah she was on board so she did the sound she killed it and she, as far as i'm concerned any movie i ever do she's going to be doing post sound on it she really was fantastic
0: did you guys um, have so she, like a, a foley pass or did you have any sound effect pass like that that you had done already and she just mixed it or did she just take your dialogue track and music and then she did it all herself.
1: We had a couple, we didn't have any fully, but we had some sound effects, like I call them temp sound effects that we'd put in there while editing. Right. There's like someone gets punched in the head in the movie, so we had a temp punch sound. So anything like that, but as far as sound effects or adding anything that could enhance the movie, I was like, look, I I am open to anything. Just tell me before you do it and here's a list of what I think should go in there. If you think it's good, great. If you don't think it's good, then let's talk about it. If we decide it's not good, we'll do something else. Or if we talk about it and you're like, you know what, yeah, it is good, then we'll go with it, right? So it's always a very open communication and I try and work with that uh, like that with everyone.
0: Did you bother doing a five one pass or did you just like stay stay with a stereo pass? Just stereo. Yeah, yeah. Five one can be a little complicated, and like I know, like myself, like even if it's just a stereo, quote unquote, film, some distributors will be like, "Wow, just get the guy in the mix to put the ambience in the back channels." Because (laughs) to distributors, sometimes that looks better. Like, oh, it's got a five one, even though the whole film is just you know stereo, and you're just you're just putting ambience tracks in the background, you know?
1: Yeah, totally. And initially, I looked into getting a five one. But after getting some quotes, which we definitely couldn't afford, and just talking to people, I'm like I don't think we need it. Like, there's certain movies where you absolutely need it, 100, percent but I don't think this is it.
0: Yeah, no, I, yeah. I, I think I think you're right there. Um, so that that all sounds pretty serendipitous, and especially with like, I'll say like having having Latif do all your color grade, like that saves you a lot. As someone who spent like hours in, in a color suite before, like. Mm-hmm. You could spend a lot of time and lose a lot of time in there, um, you know, trying to get colors right or just trying to get whatever moods right for for scenes. Um, yeah,
1: totally. And like as far as color goes, it, it's a massive amount of input from Latif as well. But like we had done mood boards and everything, we watched a bunch of reference films before we started writing the first draft, and so color and look and all that was something we talked about for well over a year before we even showed it. So by the time it came to the color grade, like he went and did his thing. And when he sent it to me, it was like very, very minor notes. Like this black is that this should be a little right. brighter. That should be this. But building it in that way, we were on the same page that so much that it made it pretty easy.
0: That's great. Um, did you guys have a big premiere or did you guys get this into a festival early on enough Mm -hmm. that you're able to have like a festival premiere or, um, So first I just want
1: to, I just want to mention the music real quick. Oh yeah.
0: Sorry. We skipped right over that.
1: Yeah, No, no, it's all good. Uh, so that one was actually pretty interesting because I was just looking for, um, temps, uh, like background songs there's a a scene where people are in a cab and i needed some background music for that so i just posted something on like facebook musician whatever and this guy messages me and he's like hey man so i'm a part of a band here's my links but uh i'd really love to score your movie and we had yeah we had someone that was set to score it that kind of wasn't really vibing all that well so I listen to this guy's stuff, and I'm like, listen, man, uh, I think it's really great. It was a band called Her Brothers out of Vancouver. They're a pop band, okay. which they're, they're actually very talented. But I was like, look, man, here's what's going on. Um, we don't have a whole lot of money. I really, really dig your sound. There's this other composer that, you know, he's tried a few things, but it's, it's not what we want. And I think everyone's feeling that. So if you're down for it, like, yeah, I'd love to do it. I'd love to have you guys on he's like yeah yeah that would be great i really want to try doing movies like he'd never scored anything before he just had his band and he's like i'd love to give it a go so he did him and his brother and yeah it turned out really really well
0: neat yeah it, yeah the score really really comes through and it fits fits the vibe of your film too um yeah. so yeah you get the film done like are you doing like a premiere do you have distribution or where you're going to make the film live at any point or
1: no, we didn't have any of that. Like we, from the start, we had said this feels like a film festival movie. Like I think festivals are going to dig it. So we just started firing off to film festivals. Um, looking back at it, that's one thing I could have researched a little bit more. There's so many, ways. like,
0: I don't know about you, but I when I'm on film freeway every now and then mm-hmm. I'm like, is this a real festival or is this a scam? <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely. There's so much um, there's so many of them that I've applied to and never heard from, or then like you get in, but it's like well now it's like everything's online, but then they're like sort of an online film festival. It's like do we just get like do we just pay thirty five dollars to have some fake laurels on our poster or
1: yeah yeah totally and my general rule was like anything that isn't five years old I didn't even bother with yeah fair enough and then once you apply it like just just research it right so yeah we just kind of researched what we thought we could get into and what we would fit with um looking back at it we should have made well I don't know it's hard to say I'm a big believer in if you like the present you can't hate the past so and I am happy with the present but um we ended up having our premiere in this tiny festival in um, Texas called Fort Worth Indie Film Showcase.
0: That's kind of fun, though. If you go all the way down to Texas, get some barbecue.
1: Yeah, I didn't get to go, unfortunately. It was right when I moved to Ireland, so I didn't have the funds to fly to Texas from Europe. Yeah, fair enough. But, yeah, it it actually ended up being pretty good because for our first festival going there, the movie going there, we won Best International Feature, which was – very very nice you know it was a good Being starting off point yeah yeah totally yeah. and then after that we i think we got accepted to a dozen of them at the end of the day you know some of them are really really tiny like i think the tiniest one was something called uh prisma something awards it was in rome like oh I think
0: I I think I know what you're talking about yeah yeah I think I know what you're talking about yeah Yeah,
1: like realistically I don't even know if the movie played on a screen there did you (laughs) go to
0: uh, any of the festivals yeah so
1: we went to the biggest one we played at in terms of status was Calgary International okay cool yeah we went there and I was actually lucky enough to get nominated for best emerging artist of Canada it's an RBC award we didn't win but just you know being thrown into the ringer for an award like that was pretty cool.
0: Yeah, very cool, man. Yeah, so
1: we went to Calgary for there. We had two screenings, which was awesome as well. Did Q&As at both of them. And I, through all the festivals I went to, I taught um, seminars on how to make a movie for no money. So Calgary, I taught that, that there as well. And then we went to Full Bloom Film Festival in, I want to say, South Carolina, one of the Carolinas in one Statesville. Of them. Yeah, and that's one that I actually preach about. i recommend that to anyone. They are fantastic. I met people that I still plan to collaborate with and I'm in touch with. To this day from there, we when you go down, uh, you don't pay for anything aside from airfare. Like You land at the airport, they pick you up, they set you up in oh, accommodation. Awesome. They do everything. The people there are really, really great. Uh, I taught the seminar there as well, and we ended up walking away with Best of Fest,
0: which oh, is fantastic. Oh, that's awesome, man.
1: Yeah, and then we played at the only other one I went to was Yonkers Film Festival in New York, oh, which was very cool, really, really good experience as well.
0: Very cool, man. So you got to tour and see a bit of the States and different parts of the world with the film too, which is kind of like an added bonus.
1: Yeah, totally. And I think there were eight or nine like other real festivals that we played at that we <laughs> didn't get to go to. There was one in India that I actually wanted to go to and one in Tokyo as well, but it just didn't. That would have been happen. cool. Yeah. I would, I, I, would actually, have,
0: I would have come up with the money. i am like, ah, when am I ever gonna go to India or Tokyo, you know?
1: Well, you know what's funny is that one was in January of this year. It was the last festival, oh. I think the last festival we played at. But I was already in Asia at that point. I was traveling Asia when this coronavirus hit.
0: Oh shit, dude.
1: But I was we had just we were in tokyo and the festival was two weeks later but my wife and i planned everything so we couldn't move it and we were in the philippines when it played in tokyo which would have been really cool to see
0: very cool but uh yeah obviously and then everything in the world went to shit and uh, yeah
1: we had we had to fly home emergency we got uh, we were flying from cambodia to laos and we get to the airport give them our passports and they're like nope can't enter laos I'm like why not and like, everything's shut down. And we had kind of known, like, there's a medium chance we're going to fly home last minute because it was strange with the way we did our trip. The virus is almost like three weeks behind us. And it just happened to the world, you know, went to shit when we were in Cambodia. So we had to book a last minute flight home, spent three days in airports. Brutal. Yeah, it was fun.
0: Brutal. Yeah, I think about, like, before COVID hit, I was in Amsterdam, like, Oh, really? the middle of february it wasn't even on the radar there flew out of the big airport there and uh mm-hmm. and then like a week later like we were under lockdown it was i don't know fu- it's uh, strange i uh, just you know just bumming around um, that's cool <laughs> um so that that all being said like your decision to release a film uh, during COVID. Do you guys, you want to walk me through a bit of your decision process Mm -hmm. with that? And um, I guess another thing to talk about too is like, while you're at all these film festivals, were you being approached by distributors or aggregators or anything of the sort like that? Uh,
1: No, we weren't being approached much. Like we found our sales agent at the film festival we went to in New York. Okay. Um, Yeah. So that's where I met him and you know, the, the thing you have in mind, because you always hear the the dreams, scenarios where your film plays at a film festival, some executive sees it and loves it and buys it, right? And yeah, I think that, that, that does doesn't happen, happen anymore. Well, I think it might for a couple movies, but if your movie is made on $6,000 and you have no star- stars, it's definitely not going to happen. No. <laughs> so we met our sales agent in New York and... We just got to talking. He was like, Yeah, you know, I'd love to check out your movie. So when we got back, we sent him a link. He checked it out. He's like, Yeah, uh, I think I can sell it. So we signed with him at just after Christmas, I believe. And uh, he was actually, he's a really good sales agent in the sense that he just feels, to me, he feels like he's there for the filmmaker. And one of the big things that makes me think that is most sales agents, you, sign your movie over to them and they just go get you a deal and they're like here's the deal i got i signed it it's done this guy he's like you will sign your movie over to me and then i'm gonna go get you a whole bunch of deals and it's up to you what you want to take and i thought that was really really good so the deal we ended up getting was not theatrical which you know yeah, you're yeah, not gonna the get that. Three thousand dollar movie with no stars. Although, did you the hear
0: about that? what is it? That Zoom movie? They shot it all on Zoom during COVID, and then they four-walled a cinema, uh, just like and the, I think they spent like forty thousand dollars on four-walling a handful of cinemas. And by spending that much money during COVID, it was number one at the box office for a week. that's great isn't that funny i I haven't seen it but it's it's kind of interesting i should have them on the podcast yeah Um, i gotta look that up i don't even know what it's called i just i heard about it in in the ether um (laughs) but uh so yeah so um was it like uh the deal that you signed with them um i'm guessing it was u.s rights they're u.s based um sales agent Mm -hmm. or
1: No, it was worldwide. And it's something that we had a couple offers that wanted U.S. only. But through talking to the sales agent and just kind of doing research, everything that we found was if you have a movie of this size and you try and just sell off U.S. rights and then you go and try and sell off the rest of the world rights, people aren't really that interested. You know, If you had a, a movie with Jennifer Lawrence and Javier Bardem, as the lead you know then maybe they you could section them off but for a really small movie your best i think to just go with someone that wants world right worldwide rights so that's what we did at the end of the day and it's also one of those things where there's even through the distribution process when you're not selling your movie when you're just distributing it with the help of a distributor you're still fairly heavily involved so i thought like you know what we don't say, I don't want it to be my life anymore. I've been doing this for over three years, and I'm ready for it to have a life of right. its own.
0: Oh, it's going to it's gonna stay with you for a while, I'll tell you.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, it, it will. But it would be even more so if we tried to sell U.S. rights and Europe rights and Asia rights, and we were dealing with a bunch of distributors, or we were still trying to get distributors for various regions. I'm like, just give it to someone worldwide there's going to be work we have to do, but at the end of the day, I want it to have its own life and I want to go off and make more movies, you
0: know? Yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, with that deal, I don't know if you're comfortable with talking about it, but with that sales <laughs> agent, um, did they offer you any like uh, minimum guarantee or did they just say, look, uh, we're going to put it on these platforms you'll get this as your split. And it's kind of like up to you to start marketing it or. Uh-
1: yeah, there, there was an advance, so. We don't have to get thing. into
0: specifics, but like if you feel like uh, talk about no, yeah.
1: it. I can't actually, through the contract, I can't give a lot uh, of specifics. that's how they get you. But, yeah, but there was an advance, and one of the things I really liked about the the sales agent was he said, you know, like I, his philosophy is anyone that won't give you an advance up front, even if it's just a tiny little bit of money, then if they won't give you that tiny bit of money up front, how much are they really going to try and do for your movie right yeah so he was like anyone i deal with is going to give you an advance you know whether it's a little bit whether it's a medium bit there's going to be something there so we did get an advance and we do get a split on what whatever profits come in we chose to do a lot of the work ourselves like we manufactured dvds got all of our um artwork in order and everything like that so we paid more upfront to get a much 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 higher split on the back end right compared to like a, a licensing deal where you would hand it over to whoever they would do whatever artwork they want they can even change the name of your movie sometimes and then you get like 20 percent on the back end we get significantly more than that but we had to do a little bit of work up front
0: That's okay, though, right? Because, like, you've already gone through making the movie by yourselves, you know? What's a little more work, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And at the end of the day, like, we had licensing deal offers. Um, One of the biggest things, though, is the thought of taking a licensing deal and having someone market the movie in a way where... They think it's best for it sell, and maybe it would go really well. Maybe they'd hit the nail on the head with the marketing, but maybe they'd change the movie name to like tap and totally <laughs> yeah, ruin it. Yeah. Right? And I was like, we're, we're already basically past the finish line. We might as well do this last little bit ourselves. And then even if it completely tanks and sells nothing, we still have a movie that is exactly what we wanted to make and comes out that way.
0: That's great. Um, so do you want to walk me through a bit of uh, the marketing that you did? Like, obviously, I know I found you on Reddit. Um, uh-huh. Do you want to talk about if, if you saw any bump in sales um, after the Reddit Um posts that you made like you made a reddit ama like i made a movie for six grand um and and you answered a bunch of people's questions i found it i found it pretty interesting and obviously interesting enough that i reached out to you um Mm -hmm. but uh yeah like did you guys do like sponsored posts did you like did you have a social media platform while you were filming that you were able to build upon just walk us through a bit of that
1: Yeah. So, I mean, like it's a $6,000 movie with no stars, right? Like building a presence is hard. It still is. even It's hard if you have stars.
0: I'll tell you that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Like anytime it's hard. So one of the things that I had learned from doing party stories was when we started doing party stories, we did a whole bunch of like promo videos in pre-production, like stills and all that kind of stuff. And we put it out to the world um, right before we started shooting. And as we were shooting, you know, we had behind the scenes, this and that, and there was a decent amount of content. But what I noticed is as soon as we wrapped and we started going into editing, there's no, like, who wants to see pictures of you sitting behind a computer every day for six months, right? It's super boring. Um, And I found that the, once we came back, once the movie was done and like we had a trailer, we couldn't really... Resuscitate the small bit of momentum that we picked up from doing these initial stills and promo videos and stuff. Right. So for what we don't say, I intentionally said like, "Look, we're not announcing anything. We won't make any. We won't put up any stills. We won't do anything until the movie's done." So basically, we finished. The, we showed the movie April 27th to the cast and crew of 2019. And right around then, we just started saying like, you know, here's a poster, here's a still, slowly started building stuff because we wanted, once we started submitting to film festivals, we wanted the momentum to be on the upswing, not dead. You right. Know? So once, once that happened, we started releasing everything, you know, we released a poster or trailer behind the scenes, this, that, and the other thing. And then when we were in festivals, we had stuff to release and, you know, just we had more content and more of a we could have more of a social media diet for our consumers.
0: Right. That could
1: Keep, um, and I actually think that that's the right way to go about it. You now, if you're doing crowdfunding, you probably can't do it that way because you need to raise money before you shoot. But for us, it was absolutely the right thing. And as far as like an uptick in sales from the Reddit AMA, it's hard to say because I did that. It's either the day it came out or the day before. So right. we hadn't really had a ton of sales yet because the movie hadn't come out. We had some pre-orders and whatnot. Um, but I think, what's the date today? 23rd. Yeah, so the movie's been out for nine days now, and it's done significantly better than I would have thought. And so how much that- like
0: uh, like is your distributor, are they giving you feedback like, like, oh, uh, these, these types of posts seem to be working, or whatever you're doing is doing well. Are, do you, are you in communication with them, or how's that been going?
1: No, we're kind of uh, on our own in that sense. We don't communicate all that much. And one of the things I really love about the deal we got is the distributor can't, like most distribution deals, and you hear about this all the time, the distributor will be like, oh, we put 50 grand into your marketing, so you never see a penny, right? Oh, yeah. And with <laughs> our deal, everything they do has to have written authorization from me. So if I don't approve it, they can't charge me anything. So it's really good in the sense that I'm kind of a, you know, master of my destiny. I guess you can say it sucks because it all kind of falls under my shoulders, but it's good in the sense that they can't just claim $10,000 when they spent nothing.
0: Right. Having autonomy Uh, though, in this type of world, like I'll I'll tell you, like I've been, I've been put through the ringer a few times with deals like that and, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, there's, no, there's almost no accountability for them and any type of like, accountability you could inflict on them, you have to do out of pocket and you might not even see any of it, any of it in the end, right? Even if they are yeah. wrong.
1: Yeah, totally. And that's actually one way that I'm really glad for this sales agent and the distributor. He's dealt with them a couple of times. And one of the first things he said to me was, you know, here's the deal. Here's what they're offering. Um, one of the reasons I really like them is because they're very transparent. They give you the numbers every month and it's all in an online portal. You can go on and see it anytime you want with this deal. They can't charge you. They can't just say, we put a billboard up here when they really didn't like right. everything is very transparent and you'll know everything that's going on. And I was like, okay, that feels right to me, especially because I try to be really honest by everyone else. And if I was a distributor, that's how I would like to do things. I mean, I'm never going to be, and I never want to be, No. <laughs> but I was, that would be how I would do it. So I thought this is in line with how I think work should be done.
0: Okay. Yeah. And obviously it's early now, but, but having that access to the back end you'll be able to tell like if you notice spikes around certain days or or within a few days or something if marketing campaigns are are working and where you can you know put your put your efforts
1: yeah absolutely and you know one of the craziest things that's happened so far is the sales agent he talked me into doing dvds initially i was like i don't want to do dvds like i can't name you one person that has a dvd player i, I genuinely can't
0: you'd be surprised <laughs> though like you'll, yeah, you'll and, sell dvds
1: that's what he said, too. He was like, just trust me, do this. Do a DVD run. And he was like, you know, one, one of the biggest places, like if you're lucky enough to get in there, they can take a lot of them off you. It's libraries in the U.S.
0: Oh, really? I, like, I had no idea.
1: Libraries? What? And yeah, he pushed for it. Thankfully, I listened to him. And even though everything shut down because of the pandemic, libraries have bought a significant amount of DVDs off of us so far. So, it, you know, when you, you have people that are, Interested in making your movies succeed, that are in your corner, and they'll push you into those things that you're kind of not comfortable with. And thankfully, they're right. It's
0: it's really good. Did you do anything special for the DVD, or is it just the film itself? You, or
1: no, we did. Uh, so obviously, there's the movie, you know, subtitles, stuff like that. There's some deleted scenes, your standard scene selection, and I did a director commentary.
0: Okay, well. perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that I was always surprised, too, just, like, DVDs seem to sell well, and I think, like, I've always thought just, like, offering something on the back end, too, with a DVD as incentive, like, a behind-the-scenes uh, is always – I think it goes well for, like, you as a brand, as a person, like, to hopefully yeah. get people interested in you, maybe as a filmmaker, check out other stuff you've done, or to maybe just keep a tab on you, or at least – in the back of their head, maybe they check something else they, else out that you've done, but... Uh.
1: Yeah, totally. And I thought that too, like it, there was the option to just have, you know, play movie scenes legend. That's it. Yeah. I'm like, uh, it, honestly, I want to give people more because DVD is more than renting it digitally. It's more than buying it digitally. And I feel like a lot of people that are going to buy the DVD from us, whether they've heard us through, you know, our podcast or your podcast or where wherever we are, you know, doing film festivals and whatnot... If filmmakers buy these DVDs, they want them because they want to see a little insight into how the movie was made. So I feel like I owe this to the people that are buying the DVD and realistically, like putting in a deleted scenes thing. It doesn't take long. Doing a director commentary. The movie's 93 minutes. It took me 93 minutes. Like it's not that much of a time vacuum. And it makes me feel better that they're paying more for more of a product other than just a case.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, so with that deal that you have, so I'm assuming you guys had to fund that DVD production on your end or, yeah, yeah, eh? yeah, yeah, we did. But, uh, do you have autonomy over that? Did your distributor make you use a certain service or did, was he just like, get me a thousand copies by this day or.
1: Yeah, that was it. He's like, we need X amount of copies. Um, they've set a minimum for it, but they're like, you know, go wherever you want. If they show up and they don't work because you want someone that's dog shit and you got to make more. Yeah but just make sure they work and get them here by X state. And I thought that was, again, that's really good. You hear about distributors that say, you know, oh, you got to use my guy. And it's like, okay, well, how much is that? They charge $600 a DVD, you know?
0: Right, right, right. Yeah, you're always getting that. There's some people
1: that I'm sure are out there to screw you basically,
0: right? The casting agent that you have to use their photographer. I've heard of that one a lot. (laughs) I know, right? Isn't that scummy? Yeah, yeah. It's like and then they have a certain rate or whatever. Every, and then mm-hmm. everyone under that casting agent all has the same poses, the same three poses. It's <laughs> like, uh, okay, I see what's going on here. Yeah. Um, well, that's great, Matt. Honestly, I, 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 my hat's off to you for pulling off a film for, for $6,000. Um, it looks great, and it, it seems like you guys got a, a decent enough uh, distribution deal, which I'll say, like, uh, as an independent filmmaker myself, to shoot something very cheap, to finish it, and to get it like out in the market where people can actually take a look at it, it's an achievement in and of itself. So congratulations to you, sir.
1: Thank you. Appreciate that.
0: Um, so, uh, what's next for you? Do you want to make a, another film? Do you are you have something in development? Uh, once things mm-hmm. go back to normal, or
1: yeah, yeah, totally. I'm actually, I'm really, really gearing up to make a horror movie next. That's easier and, to
0: get into film festivals, I'll tell you that,
1: <laughs> and easier to sell too. Yeah, like yeah. right, don't wrong. Love stories have their their niche. You know, there are people that really want them. But I what I keep telling people is, do you remember when Napster hit and the bottom end dropped out of music, and just all sales kind of tanked? The one genre that never tanked and people still buy records with is country music. People right. love buying country CDs. You I know, don't know, the why. fans. It's just what they do, and when the DVD market bottomed out of film horror movie is country like people that are fans of horror will watch anything I wonder and if I, there's a crossover
0: country and horror movies <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah i could see it Maybe. um Who and knows? it's not me saying like you know i want to make the biggest pile of shit horror movie ever it's just i think there's i've always really wanted to make a horror movie because i have this vision for a uh, a different kind of sub genre of horror that doesn't really exist. And it's kind of the horror. You know, they say, make the movie that you want to see. Yeah. I've always wanted to see this variant of horror. So I have this script that, I mean, I've written tons of scripts since what we don't say finish, but I have a script that I'm really, really happy with. And it's, it can be done fairly cheaply. I would love to do it with a bigger budget, but worse comes to worse. I'll just, make it for cheap again and uh, yeah i'm really excited to do, do this one it's i think it's my strongest writing i've ever done and the idea of doing something completely different than what i've done before also really has me fired up so hopefully it's a summer movie as well so hopefully i can get that done next summer hopefully the virus is done yeah yeah Yeah, just kind of prepping for that. I'm looking for a producer right now because one of the, like, I I produced what we don't say. I had some producers working with me, but I did like 95% of it and going forward, like, I would love to work with a producer that can take over that main producer role. I don't want to give up producing entirely, but I would love to be able to focus more time on directing and writing and really finding, like, I have a true filmmaking partner in Latif but I think if we could bring on a true producing partner to really you know make us a, a sweet triad then I think yeah. we yeah do something really great
0: I can hear that and having somebody else to deal with some of the other business ends or just just minutia of stuff to that bogs you down in the creative world I I i know full well about that too uh well yeah. that's great man and and if you if and when you you get that next uh horror done uh, i'd love to have you back on the podcast to to talk about that yeah it'd be great. i mean uh also too just like now that you've gone through the process and you have all these other relationships you've built up going through it it won't be as scary or you know you won't ha- face as many hurdles hopefully um, so that's awesome yeah, and you've kind
1: of proved that you can do it right It's I think it's gonna be easier than if I was just a writer and I was like, I want to try directing this script It's like no, right. I made a movie like you know it's a six thousand dollar movie. don't get me wrong it is not perfect. I'm of the strong belief that you cannot make a truly great movie for no money. like no. you can make good ones. you absolutely can and there are a lot of good ones out there but to make something truly great for nothing, I don't think it can be. Really done.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Especially on
1: a first go of it, you know.
0: Exactly. Um, yeah. So that's great, man. Uh, can you let people know? I'll, I'll put it at the start of the episode too. But you let people know where where they can see the film and where they can find you on social media.
1: Yeah, totally. So I'm Matt Ralston Film. I'm mostly on Instagram. I think I'm Matt Ralston on Facebook. I have a Twitter. I never really use it. Um, but I'm sure you could find me on there too. Also, I <laughs> co host a podcast called Filmcraft Podcast, and we go over how we made movies for no money, like basically step by step. So, if anyone's looking for that's a, great, a how- for sure, a crossover
0: to there. What's that for sure? A crossover there,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, so people can check that out too. And then, what we don't say if you're in Canada, uh, it's on vimeo is the main one we've been pumping out just because it was the first one to go live but it's on google play now um a couple streaming services it went live on deku the other day cool um and if you're in america you know like amazon all the big guys it's on like turner classic movies and pretty much anywhere in america but canada we kind of get shafted with that kind of stuff
0: yeah no I, i i know that one uh, well, that's great, man. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and enlightening us on uh, how you pulled off a movie for 6000 uh, bucks. I had a really good time chatting with you. Yeah, thanks
1: for having me. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over.
0: Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at Lost Commentary, on Instagram at Raiders of the Lost Commentary, and like us on Facebook. I'll be back.